Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, it's coming home. It's coming home. So. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Slaughter. I'm Lucy. I'm Emma. And we're going to be telling you some more UK true crime stories. (laughs) (laughs) And we finish each other's sentences. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to start off. With an oldie worldie tale. Oh, that means we can take the book. From a ye old book. Um, it's not long- actually an old book. Mm, not especially. <laughs> um, it's, it's from Strange Inhuman Deaths, Murder in Tudor, England by John Bellamy. Mm. And so this story, when I was reading it, it's just... It's so, it feels very modern, as in like, it's so drama filled. Text messages. No, it just feels like, like very Jeremy Kyle, I think. Like the people involved just use the court system to sort out all their problems. Great. Like, I've got an issue, well, I'll take you to court then. We'll take you to court then. And just the kind of people that, normal people don't spend all of their lives going to court. And why don't you realize that? Because court's expensive. Yeah, and I just feel like they were just complainers and like very much like that sort of culture that some people have these days of mm-hmm. if I've got an issue, someone else will sort it out then because we can't possibly do it. Was that a bit too moany? No. Okay, well, that's what it's like. And also a lot of like <laughs> a lot of um, relationship swapping. It's also quite Love Islandy too. So that's why I liked this one. So it all centers around a lady called Marjorie Freeman. And she was born in February of 1559. And it was recorded in the pamphlets at the time that she was born to a poor family from Oxford. And then her first husband... There are poor families in Oxford. No, there's not. I guess when it was all just fields and farms and... And her first husband was called John Hoare. And he would um, try and claim that she was born a gentlewoman, just as he was a gentleman. But again, the events of their lives would suggest that neither of them were particularly well brought up so um it isn't said when john hoare was born but we do know that there had been a incredibly large age difference between them because their wedding took place in april of 1570 which would make marjorie 11 years old at the time oh shit that's very romeo and julia pretty gross i mean at the time it was possible to be married at 12 so even like he couldn't even wait long enough for that to happen I think Marjorie's parents, they sort of arranged this marriage and it's 
probably likely that they just decided to lie about her age in order to encourage it to happen. It's effectively adopting a daughter, really. Pretty much. <laughs> Marrying a 12-year-old. I always wonder that. Do you think they waited... Do you think if you married someone who was 12 that you waited for them to grow up a bit? Sure, or you just, yeah. like, had at it? No. But then they wouldn't have thought that they were young. They'd have thought, yep, she's 12. She's ripe for plucking. Did they dress them more adult, like toddlers and tiara style? I don't know. Um, So, yeah, they said that John Hall, their parents said that he was a man of good ability. And I think we probably thought that he was likely to make some money and get rid of her. It'll be fine. About two months after they were married, John had stolen three pounds from a chest in Marjorie's father's house, along with a few other items and had just scarpered from Oxford. Um. He did return after a short time to fetch his wife, but she clearly wasn't feeling the situation and Marjorie ran away. So um, it's not clear how she survived, but sort of within a year she returned to Oxford. So she's still 11-ish, 12-ish. And she wanted nothing to do with her husband whatsoever. So she put about a rumour that Marjorie's dead. Did you know? (laughs) What she was saying... herself was dead yeah she started a rumor that she was dead and then went and hid in her parents house i think without them knowing it doesn't say that her parents knew but if you hide in your parents house and they know about it you're gonna chill in your bedroom whereas marjorie was found hiding in a chimney yeah they didn't know so she just told him she's dead and then ran home I think it was more the fight. It says in the pamphlet, it says that she was hiding behind some boughs in a chimney. But I can't imagine she's actually like squirreled up there. So I think maybe like a fireplace with something covering the entrance of the fireplace. So she's in a little Mm, sooty cave. Maybe. But either way, not great. Um, So obviously when they found her, she was in huge trouble. And at the time, there were different courts, but the first port of call was always, like, the church council. Like, I think we looked at it with the witches' cases that they would go to, like, the The church authorities and they would decide if it was guilty or not to begin with. So Marjorie was taken to the church authorities for tricking her husband and she defended her actions by claiming that, quote, he was not man-sufficient. Which basically meant that his dick didn't work. <laughs> not she's not thinking that at eleven. I think she understood that. Well, yeah, probably. They, they knew that. Oh, so she was making up a tale that she can't say I'm eleven because they don't give a shit about that. So she's making up something that they might go fair enough. Right. Yes, I think that's the the biggest hope of her being able to get an annulment is if he couldn't fulfill the right. marriage responsibilities. So she said, "Well, he's he can't do his job, so I don't want him." But the church authorities did their duty and investigated oh these claims God. and they found everything to be in working they order. They like a sexy nun, right? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like, <laughs> did they like bring in the women or did they just go around and go... Was it like in Love Island where they do that sexy dance, right? Yes. <laughs> like the priest just hitches up his habit and like starts bouncing on top of him. Like, did you get hard? Or maybe he just was like, jerk off in front of me, do it now. Whatever way it happened, it can't have been good. No. Like, Never. no way. Never. I like to think that they had, like, a stripper-turned-nun who still used her powers. Maybe. They're like, she'll know how to do it. We'll win. So anyway, they found that everything was in working order 
And so he said, no, yes, he's still your husband, you naughty little thing. And so Marjorie left again. This time she headed to London to look after an aunt. But Hall also then moved to London to try and find her. Um, it's thought that he probably gave up. and Because London was crowded, yeah, pretty gross. Yeah, good, let her go. Um, but in order to really put him off the scent, Marjorie did try and fake her own death again. Whoa. Although this time, rather than just put around the rumour, she actually got her name entered in the church book of St. Margaret's in Westminster to say that she died as a victim of the plague. So in November 1571, so just a little over the year since they were married, um, John Hoare took another wife, a Maud Lewis. But in 1574... Hoare, just going about his business, found his now 15-year-old first wife living in a barber's house and he challenged her as his wife. Sure. I believe this is the legal term. We'll use it like that. He challenged her as his wife saying, oh, you're mine. Get back here now. But, of course, she refused him and then found out that he was married to someone else. So she was like, well, you can't have me now if you've got someone else. So... The case was taken to the Dean's Court in Westminster. And, of course, because Hora technically committed bigamy, he was ordered to be whipped through the streets. Oh, God. <laughs> so it definitely didn't go his way. No. Which I quite like. So after this, Marjorie went off with a man who just referred to as Jones. And he was a waterman, which I guess is like he was trading along the canals and stuff on the waterways. And they lived together pretty much as man and wife um, in Henley-on-Thames. But then, once again, Hoare managed to find Marjorie and challenged her. He's still living with Maud Lewis. He's still got his other wife. So do you think either he's really in love with her or it's just like a you're not going to get one over on me type thing? I think a little bit of both. I think Marjorie... Although none of the sources claim to know anything about her appearance, I think she must have been considered a very attractive woman because throughout her life, she's got men falling at her feet and wanting her. But I also think that this John Hoare is very clearly got serious issues and that he's obsessed with it. And this is probably the first recorded case of stalking. Yeah. Because he moves on and then, but he just can't let it go. Yeah. And it goes to really extreme lengths. So this time he found her again and challenged her. But Jones, who was there, he picked up sort of his, it says his staff, but I guess it might be more of like a pole that you used for like to be punting along. Mm. Um, he picked it and he went to go and hit Hoare, but he lost his balance and fell between two barges. Um, apparently he hadn't thought it necessary to learn to swim before Whoa. getting a job on the waterways. Okay. And so he drowned. Oh shit. Yeah. That's fucking embarrassing, isn't it? I'll save you. Literally just wraps it and dies. Yeah. It's just really sad. I mean, um, Hall wasn't held responsible for his death. Like, it was definitely just he fell and drowned. Oh my like, God. he was the worst protector she could have had. The worst waterman. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, although he wasn't, um, Hall wasn't um, culpable or charged for this, shit did begin to hit the fan for him. Uh, Marjorie obviously left again Um, his current wife then Maud Lewis died Um, he was sent to appear in court then in 1575 
basically he'd been grooming young children oh, on the God. street and then getting them to go begging for him like pimping out street children Ugh. so then he was and he got caught for this so he was put in the pillory which is the one with the wrists and the head and <laughs> The well, one with the wrists and the head. Well, because because people often call those the stocks and... They're the feet ones, aren't they're they? They're the feet ones. Yeah. Get it right. Stocks, feet, pillory, wrists and head. So he was in the pillory and then he was sent to Bridewell Prison, which I had a little look into um, because they just keep seeing to send him to Bridewell and then letting him out. And basically it was a, it was a prison, but it was for the poor and disorderly, it says. So you could be put in there for really like... Just generally being poor. on the street, yeah, and unsightly. They didn't need much to be able to throw you in there, um, and it was also linked to it was like a sister prison with um, Bethlehem uh, Institution for the Insane. So they sort of like switched between them. If they just thought you were a bit too much to handle, they sent you there. So it wasn't really a criminal prison as such. So he was sent to Bridewell, and then. We don't really hear much about him for a while. Two years later, so we're in 1577 now and Marjorie's 18. So still quite young, even mm. for the time. And she was working as a maid for the Hungate family. And then she became involved with a rich upholsterer who was sort of friends with the family called Richard Whitehand. Now, she must have been attractive because if you're a maid working for a family... Yeah, I was going to say, and like, a step up, isn't it? Yeah, a business associate comes to visit your house and falls in love with the servant. Yeah. Pretty big deal. So he was called Robert Whitehand. Because normally, wouldn't they just like knock, like shag him on the side? Yeah, sure. You wouldn't be like, I've got to marry this one. Yeah. Yeah. So she must have been hot. They didn't even have makeup or anything. Mm. So he asked for a hand and Marjorie explained... She told him of her baggage and said, look, I've got this crazy ex-husband who keeps finding me and demanding that I go with him. And together he took it. He was like, this isn't okay. And they sought the advice of several clergy members. And they basically said, look, because he remarried to Maud Lewis, he was adulterous. And basically your marriage to him is void now. I don't think it's going to hold up in any kind of court. So Marjorie married Whitehand in August of 1577. And Hoare found out about this because obviously they have to read out the bans and they have to make marriage licenses public. Um, so when he heard this news, he didn't take it lying down. And it says that he like railed against them in the streets. He was causing disturbances. He was confronting them. He was screaming and shouting and hurling abuse. And oh. so... Have a bit of dignity, mate. Exactly. So he was arrested and sent to Bridewell again. Mm. He obviously wasn't getting on well there because from then they sent him to Newgate, which was the proper, proper prison, yeah. Badass prison. So it's possible. It doesn't, obviously, at the time they wouldn't have considered it. Quite possibly he had mental health issues. He was definitely had an unhealthy obsession with mm. Marjorie. But then, to be honest, that's probably society's fault for telling men that they own women. A little bit. Like, if someone stole your gold, you'd probably go this mad trying to get it back. I know, but also let's not excuse his horrible behaviour. Oh, no, not at all. So... Because clearly she didn't want to be found, and she'd been quite clear about that from the very start. Oh, yeah, he needs to just leave her alone. He's marrying other people. Like, get over it. Build a bridge. So, do you ever say that to the kids? No. 
<laughs> all the time. Like I'm a All the time. Or sometimes I'm like, can we all just move on with our lives now? <laughs> I always say, if they say like, can I start on the next page? I go, I'm not going to cry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I might have that one. I'm yeah. Like, like, can I do it like this? If you do, I'm not going to cry about it. <laughs> I like that. Um, so the new Mr. and Mrs. Whitehand then obtained an official divorce from the Bishop of London. And Hall believed that the couple had bribed the bishop with silks and other fancy materials in order for this to happen and was just convinced that he still had husband's rights over Marjorie. So he then started to try and get a bit of a team together. He got two of his friends to go and entreat the bishop on his behalf, but probably more likely just threaten him. So all three of them, Hall and his two friends, were all sent to Newgate Prison for this. Then when they were discharged, there was, they let him go, but it was this really odd arrangement that I didn't quite understand how it would come about. So they said, you can go, but you're not to have any contact with Mr. Hun, uh, Mr. Whitehand or Marjorie. So basic, a basic restraining order. And then also on the condition that he would marry a woman called Catherine Richardson. What? And then they said, once you do, we'll give you a £10 bonus. Do you think that's like the prison warden's wayward child who's trying to... Well, they mentioned something about that she lived in the bishop's house, so I think she was some sort of ward of the state. And I think maybe they were thinking, oh, if we give him another woman to marry, he'll stop banging on about this other one. Not how stalking works. But then also giving him £10 as well. Like, you're releasing him from prison. Like, this parole deal is the best what one. Was it? Is this woman agreeing to this as well i don't think they gave a shit fucking hell so for whatever reason that came about it was really confusing he was let out and married a woman in 1578 um but then the marriage was made void due to an order by the bishop the the reasons are unspecified why just changed his mind I think it's probably the fact that he Hall breached the conditions because he filed a lawsuit against Whitehand and Marjorie Right. So he wasn't obeying the rules. But this is what I mean. The bishop's getting way too involved in these yeah. people's lives. Like, okay, marry this person. Don't see this person. Do this. And they just all go along with it. They're like, yeah, tell me what to do. Like, help me out. Get my wife back. Get me a new wife. <laughs> so Marjorie Freeman, although now married to Whitehand, had definitely been the victim of Hawes' obsession and stalking. Um, but then something happened in 1580 where after three years of marriage to Whitehand, she became determined to be rid of him by any means possible. So she had a lover now called John Shaw, and together they prepared to poison Whitehand, even though he'd helped was her, got on her, her side divorce. for a lot of this. Now she just wants to poison yeah. other people. So Marjorie... Um, served her husband a dish of poisoned herring, after which Whitehand became sick and his body became extremely swollen. And two days later, he was dead. Marjorie did inherit a large fortune from Whitehand's death. And so Shaw was eager to tie the knot and seal this deal. Mm. So they did have bands read and they were all good to go. But the day before the wedding, Marjorie fled to Yorkshire by the arrangement of the Hungate family. 
where she met up with a Robert Hungate and he was the brother of her previous employer when she was working as a maid and met Whitehand. So now the brother of them was like, I want to marry this girl. Oh my God. And they were married in that December. So they, cause so this family were like, well, she's pretty rich now. It's fine if she marries one of ours. She maybe had, he'd come a calling before and she'd be like, oh, he's a bit of a all right. Yep. So she'd had this whole little conspiracy with their family to help her evade the man who'd helped her poison yeah. her husband. She's a sneaky she, little madam. She's a little bit of a sneak. So, sure was now absolutely fuming. He's like a conspirator in murder and then now she's fucked up and left him and yeah. he's embarrassed he was going to get married. So he followed in Hoare's footsteps and began a campaign of hate in the streets of London, causing trouble for the couple whenever he came across them in the street. And so he too was put in jail for a short period of time. And then upon his release, rather than let things go, he decided to join forces with Marjorie's old aggressor, Hoare. Oh my God. The dream team. Yes. I mean, how Love Island is that? Like get the two exes together to go and challenge them. Yeah. So, and it's like the bishop's the producer, isn't it? Yeah, you're just like watching all this happen. So now um, Shaw and Hall are like the worst tag team ever. <laughs> and apparently... Oh, should we just shout them in the street again? No, I've tried that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hall was trying to adhere to this sort of restraining order. So they came up with this plan um, where Hall would be able to go and act out his not fantasies because he meant he he would be able to go and uh, harass Marjorie but Shaw would facilitate that to happen so because back in the day everyone sort of like made their own clothes and stuff you would recognise someone pretty much by oh that's his jacket because he literally always wears it yeah so Shaw gave Haw his clothes (laughs) to wear so that Haw could go about without them realising straight away it was him so this Sunday, the 1st of October in 1581, Hall was dressed in Shaw's clothes. And then when Marjorie was seated in church, he basically went in and just stood in front of her for the whole service. I just stood up facing her. What? Well, how intimidating would that be? Everyone sat down in church. Like, no one's going to say anything because church is happening. It's very serious. It's the 1500s. We're going go to go to hell. And so I you think just some of those some of those hardcore biddies at the back. Well, apparently sit down. They just, I can't see God. They were just whipping out the popcorn, apparently, because he just stood there, like just being creepy as fuck. Oh my god! Um, and then when she left the church, that's when he started shouting at her and hurling more abuse. <laughs> see, this is the same plan. Should we go shout in the street again a bit? Yeah, okay. I think they just wanted to ruin her reputation so much, but now she's rich and hot. I don't think there's much can be done. And she's got a rich, like, influential husband now, so he's going to try and crush these guys. So Shaw, now in cahoots with Hoare, began to try and attack Marjorie from a range of different angles. So they began a case with the church authorities. Uh, They made a complaint to the Privy Council... And then they went to the Court of High Commission, all basically on the same thing. Sure, I think Shaw was maybe had a bit more brains than Hoare did because he was, it was only once he got involved that these lawsuits started to happen in earnest because they were all claiming that Hungate was illegally detaining Hoare's wife. So Shaw wasn't trying to get her back for himself. He was just wanting to ruin her and he was using Hoare's obsession to make it happen. 
So they were unsuccessful in all those proceedings, as well as they also applied to the Queen's bench. And basically now the only avenue left was um, chancery. So chancery was a specific kind of court. It could overrule findings in other courts. It was really your last chance saloon. So Hall claimed that now, once they'd filed with Chancery, Marjorie and Hungate then began plotting ways to get rid of Shaw. So they conspired, the Hungates, they conspired, they had him served with these fake papers saying that he needed to appear at the Queen's bench. But what to Hall? uh, They passed them to Shaw, John Shaw. Okay. So when he showed up, they were like, well, we don't have any charges filed against you you're not wanted here today so he then returned to Charing Cross where Marjorie's brothers Richard and Thomas Freeman were laying in wait for him and the pair ambushed Shaw and stabbed him to death whoa yeah okay so there's the murder for you I don't drowning and a poison but (laughs) fucking hell yeah and her brothers who've just been I don't know where they they come from were there any of these weddings I don't know (laughs) But now they're here for a stabbing. They're well up for that. There's some discrepancy because the Hungates claimed that what happened was the brothers had met Shaw, had a really heated argument with him. They'd all got their daggers out and Shaw had been sort of like cut in the head and that he'd then been alive for two weeks with like a handkerchief and a bandage on his head going about his normal business and then he eventually died two weeks later when God came to visit him. So they had two surgeons who also testified that this was the case, that he'd had an injury and then gone about and he'd eventually mm. died later. But Hungate's so much richer that they could have paid two surgeons to say what they wanted them to yeah. say and to find what they wanted them to and find. everyone was corrupt then anyway. Of course. Um, the... And it's said that in the court, one of the judges were just like, he just loved Marjorie and didn't really want to hear a bad word against her. Um, But anyone that beautiful could never do anything terrible. Of course. Uh, Her brothers, they did have an arrest warrant out for them. When people came to the home to collect collect them, to arrest the brothers, um, they were sort of held off at the door while they made an escape out the back. So they were on the run. With the help of Hungate, of course. So, now, Hall then joined forces with John Shaw's two brothers to try and seek justice for his death and to ensure that Marjorie and Robert Hungate were held responsible for it. So, they campaigned to the jurors. Again, they're just more brothers at the last minute. Yeah, yeah, just (laughs) random. No one gave a shit. They're just all here for the fight. That's all they want. So they campaigned um, to the jurors at the coroner's inquest and saying that, come on, you know this is true, you know it was the Hungates, but um, only the Freeman brothers were the named people at fault for this murder. They were trying really hard to get Marjorie and Robert counted as conspirators and accessories, but they couldn't do it. So then they filed a bill of indictment against the Hungates during the next sessions of this case at Newgate, it was unsuccessful and they kept bringing it up at the next few sessions in this murder case and they just kept getting thrown out. Eventually, one of someone found an error in the bill and it just was like, that's it. Stop bringing it to us. So they sort of, the Hungate sort of got off on a technicality. Mm. So then 
Hoare and the Shaws paid a man named Young to lie in court in front of the Privy Council and say that Marjorie had tried to pay him to poison Shaw when he was in prison, which he did. Um, And following this, Marjorie was then charged as an accessory in the murder of John Shaw. So she gave herself up immediately, basically, because her brothers were on the run for the murder. She's like, if I get on trial now before the murderers have been um, found guilty, I've got much more chance of getting acquitted than if they've already been found guilty, my brothers, they're going to say, well, obviously you helped them. So it was much better if she just did it now and there was no evidence, there was no murderer officially found. It'd be a lot easier. So... Robert Shaw didn't want it to go smooth for her, so they were in court, and at the last minute, he sort of stood up and produced a paper from his pocket saying that the trial had been moved up a level to the Queen's bench now, um, hoping that he would get the upper hand. But it really didn't matter because Marjorie was acquitted and allowed to go completely free. And that's sort of where the records stop. So the brothers were never caught and... No, it's known that Marjorie and Robert Hungate then, because they're fucking petty and couldn't just let it go that we're free, we've got away with everything. They then put in their own complaint to the Privy Council about the fact that they were (laughs) being held up for all these charges. Um, But then it doesn't go into... There's not any recorded things after that. So it's pretty likely that Marjorie got away with definitely the murder of... Um, her husband Whitehand for poisoning him uh-huh. pretty sure she was involved in the conspiracy to kill John Shaw and then that was it got away with it and all because Hall was a stalking bastard I didn't like any of the people in that story yeah they were all all a bit like Love Island yeah all nasty people and you want to read about it's them because it's Danny. drama but you don't actually want to meet any of them in no. the dark I'm not reading for any of them there you go bro How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, so my story today is the story of David Jaggers. And a lot of this information comes from a documentary called Britain's Darkest Taboos. But if you enjoy what I tell you about it and you want to find out more, you can actually read a book by the victim. So I'll tell you about that at the end. But a lot of it is from the point of view of Vicky Jaggers, who is sister of David Jaggers. See, Jaggers is a character in, I want to say, is either Nicholas Nickleby or David Copperfield? I think. Tom Hardy? No, Charles Dickens. Oh. Um, (laughs) But... And I remember reading it and being like, that's such a weird made up name of because the character's not particularly nice. He's like a lawyer who's a little bit creepy mm. and seedy. Um, and then, oh, it's a real name. So interesting mm. to know. I always think of you've got the moves like Jagger. Of course, not actual Mick Jagger. Yeah. Just, the, just the son that referenced him later. That's it. <laughs> so um, Vicky was born in Essex and she was the youngest of four children and she had two brothers and a sister. Um, very much a daddy's girl and her father, Len, was her idol. So she lived with her mother and father, um, but Len, her father, had a son from a previous relationship. So David was her half-brother. Um, and she had quite a close bond with David from quite young as well. So, um, like, David David sort of took a shine to her. Like, he really liked her. He'd give her loads of sweets. He'd cuddle her. Um, he was a few years older, but he wasn't, like, an adult when she was a child. So yeah. there's a, a few years between them. And everyone was sort of like, oh, it's really cute. He's really sweet. And they were, um, they were at school together. So at secondary school, he was very protective. He wouldn't let people bully her. So he's kind of like a nice older brother, whereas my older brother did none of that. Literally ignored me. Yeah. Not interested. He's not protective in the slightest. No. He'd be like, sure, like go suck on a bag of dicks. Like he's not bothered. No, bothered. So um, David would get into quite aggressive fights at school uh, with other boys, um, which isn't, I wouldn't say alarm bells at that point because a lot of kids are like that. Um, But outside of school it started to escalate. So him and his mates would steal cars and they started going joyriding. Um, and then he got a criminal record by the time he was age 13. So already he's a bit antisocial there. Um, and then age 13, he asked his parents for an air rifle so he and his friends could shoot animals. But he didn't tell them that, obviously. Can I have an air rifle to shoot animals? Yeah, just, pro- I just want to kill it. some innocent things. <laughs> um so they bought him what did they think they wanted it for i always think that with guns yeah, to shoot what no gun about the guns if you're buying a gun you're going to shoot something what is the innocent pastime that these boys are getting up to <laughs> target practice brilliant why do they need to be a better at shooting if they're not going to shoot a fucking thing what are you trying to hit 
What do you need to get dead on in a bullseye? <laughs> yeah. Fucking ridiculous. I feel like there was a stage. It's not a common thing now, but where everyone got like BB guns or air rifles. Yeah. Or, like, it, was, it was like a cool thing. To like shoot people in the arse, wasn't it? Yeah. With a BB gun. Why? Like, oh, look, I got shot with a BB gun. You can see it still. Yeah, you've well it done. It fucking hurt. I got shot by one once. Um, so they bought him this air rifle and then within two weeks he was in really big trouble because him and his friends had been going down to sort of um, the back of the garden. There was like this area that you could sort of wander through and you could see like the the railway station and there was just a railway worker sort of on duty and they were shooting at him and nearly of hit him. Of course they fucking yeah. were. So they got in trouble again. Um, so the family sort of decided on a career change. Um, they didn't really like that he was getting into trouble and they just thought it was a good idea which i think is a terrible idea to become temporary pub managers so basically just temporary like we're not in yeah. this for the long haul we're here to fuck things up and leave well it's like the supply workers of te- of of pub managing oh, okay. so i guess like say the pub manager quits or leaves or dies or whatever it is they'd go in and just fill in until they hired someone permanent you'd think in that position you'd want someone who knew how to run a pub (laughs) to come in as the stand-in manager four children one of which is a delinquent um so they'd go to a pub and they'd run it for a few weeks um but obviously it's not a great lifestyle for these children so they're sort of lugging kids around the country. They're living above a pub. They're going to different schools all the time. They're bored. They're up late. Or oh, they're going to bed early and the parents aren't there with them. So it's not very like, it's not a very nice atmosphere. Um, antisocial hours that the parents are working. They can't do nice things together. Can't put them to bed. So um, the lifestyle made it quite difficult for them to make friends or have any routine and their education was poor as a result they didn't have consistent teachers and I guess the main thing is they didn't have a support network and we've talked about this in sort of child abuse cases that we've looked at that if they if kids don't have regular teachers to talk to who do they if something happens within the family who do they even go to it's so so important that role that teachers play so 1986 vicky's 12 years old and david's 17 oh god i'm just trying to anticipate what's going to happen because this is a lot about a brother and sister it's it was from britain's darkest taboo yeah at some point he's gonna fuck his sister isn't he Oh. It's coming soon, hold your breath. So she went to bed at 9pm one night and her brother came into her room about 10.30 and this is sort of the this kind of time that her parents might come up and just check that she's in bed. Um, so she just didn't really think much of it, goes back to sleep and she feels someone get into the bed and it's pitch black, literally no light, but she knows that it's her brother and he rapes her and he leaves and she's crying traumatized disgusted it was from behind um that's as much detail as they went oh into God, on the that's documentary. too much detail but yeah um didn't threaten her but she was just terrified i mean she's she's 12 years old she doesn't ha- really know what sex no. is um now professionals have said that looking at the way that he committed the crime and they talked about this on the documentary as well that it's quite likely that it's something that he had either witnessed or experienced himself because yeah, of the why nature would you of the go crime for that? It's such an unusual, and it's incest, and it's it. He's he's a terrible, terrible person throughout. Um, but they did think 
it is kind of if you look at other cases that are similar he probably had some either some sexual abuse or a That'd porn be addiction really weird if that was your first sexual experience for oh him obviously it's horrific for her but for him for that your usual first sexual uh, experience you wouldn't be like okay so i'm gonna jump in and uh, my young sister so he i mean he's I would say probably definitely a psychopath. Especially in 86. Like, I don't think she wouldn't have had sex ed in school at 12 years old no. in the 80s. No. Uh, you, oh, God. No, because what is that, is that? Year seven or year eight? So you, if you are, it's minimal. It's like, it's like egg and sperm. It's yeah. not special cuddle. <laughs> so the next day... He acts, this is even more fucked up. He acts as if nothing's even happened. So she's been traumatized all night, probably Did hardly she tell her parents? Didn't tell her parents. Um, and then he acts as if nothing's happened. So she's really confused things. Have I made this up? Is this normal? Yeah, what actually even happened? Yeah. And she, I mean, she, she, she said she didn't know if it was maybe something that's, that everyone does. No one talks about it. She was. She's just all over the place. Horrible, horrific experience. Um, but no one spoke to her about it. But she feels too scared to tell anyone. She's scared of him. And he does it again the next few nights. And um, she gets out of this situation because she ends up telling her parents that she's really scared. She thinks there's ghosts in the building. Um, and she begins to sleep on her parents' floor. And he doesn't go near her again after that. But it horrific experience. But not only the fact that it's happened to her, the fact that she's not telling anyone and she's just got to live with this herself and all bottled up. And I just feel so horrific for Vicky. Um, she's very eloquent about it. Thank God she eventually said something. Yeah. So she then, to add on insult to injury and to make things a million times more traumatising for her, she finds out that she's pregnant at age 12. No. Um, she tells her parents... But she says that it was a boy at school. David moves out. He goes. And she makes up a story saying that she had sex in a field with some boy that lived on a caravan park. And the police do come and investigate. And they actually ask the mother, because of her age, and say, could it be Len, the father? And she says, absolutely not. You'd never do that. And they say, could it be David, the brother? And she says she doesn't know. But without any evidence... They sort God, of let if it you're go. not saying absolutely not, then how fucking creepy is your son? Yeah. If you can say absolutely not about the dad and not the same thing about the son, you know he's weird. Yeah. And when it did all come out, the mother sort of says she wasn't overly that surprised. So the, the, I mean, this guy is horrific beyond belief. Um. So, Vicky gives birth to a little girl called Kirsty. Oh, Kirstie. God, they made her go through with it. Yeah. Um, and her mother raises the, the baby while Vicky goes to boarding school. But Vicky does say that... To be her, honest, surely boarding school is like the best thing right now. Just leave all yeah, these people behind. Leave safe day. But also, she says, with Kirsty, with her daughter, she just looks at this baby and she feels love. She doesn't think about this horrible past. And um, in some ways that, you know, that it's nice that that wasn't sort of at the forefront of her mind with the relationship with her daughter. But a horrible situation for her to be in, just absolutely horrific. David's now living elsewhere. Now, he begins to date a single mother called Helen Mitchell. Um, Quite young. She's got two kids. She basically... So, um, 
David's mother's called Avril and she, I think the parents sort of settled in one place for a while. And David, although he didn't live there, he started just hanging around the street. Where his parents were. Outside his parents' house. And um, this Helen Mitchell lived opposite. And she would see him hanging out. And she went out and spoke to him and said, you know, what's going on? You're all right. You know, he's like 17, 18, 19 at this point. Um, And she let him into the flat and he sort of charmed her a little bit and they started a relationship. I mean, I think she's obviously quite vulnerable. She's a single mother. She's... She's on her own with the exactly. kids. Exactly. But... You don't need a fucking 17-year-old boy hanging around mm-hmm. the house either. He is not going to be helping that situation. No. What's he going to do? Look after the kids? No. Have a job? No. Tidy up? No. Their relationship... <laughs> their relationship very quickly becomes violent and she begins having black eyes and she's making excuses saying that she's hit herself on a cupboard and things like that, which is obviously clearly bollocks. Um... And he would just say nasty things about her in front of people. So um, they spoke about how, like, people came over for dinner and he'd just say, oh, I don't want to see you chewing with your mouth open. It's disgusting to him. Things like that. That is disgusting. It is disgusting, but humiliating her in front of people. Oh, he said it to her. I thought he was saying it to the guests. No. Oh, shit, that's really bad. Sorry. (laughs) No, but, I mean, it is gross, but no but that just putting someone down in front of other people it's finding that's one of those huge indicators of domestic abuse isn't it yeah and it's finding something to comment on and it's making her feel small yeah um like she doesn't deserve anything all that kind of really nasty emotional stuff yeah and her two daughters who were four and two years old he would break their toys he'd steal money from um helen um, and the the children's father, he was still on the scene. He tried to intervene. He tried because he didn't want his daughters around no. this piece of shit man. Um, but she'd always make excuses for David. So he sort of, unless she's willing to escape him, it, it kind of he didn't really know what else to do. God. So he just did what he can. Everyone's just going to end up going away to boarding school, and he'll be left wandering around this town on his own. No that, one can go near him. That would have been brilliant, but it's far worse than that um so sometimes i wish we didn't do a murder podcast (laughs) so helen phones her sister um sheila one night for help and she turns up and she finds um david and he's got this sort of like suitcase of knives um not i mean sort of like cooking knives i think but i think they were massive um and he's got them out and she says getting Helen, I'm getting the kids, we're going. So she gets them from the house um, and one of the kids says, now older in this documentary, that um, he had had actually held one of the knives up to Helen's throat before Sheila had arrived as well. So he puts all the knives away, she takes um, Helen and the kids, but she goes back to him. It's sort of that he's got he's got her he's and he he's doing that thing of like oh i'm so sorry i need to get help i'm i'm gonna change and she believes it um which is you know tragically a story that we hear a lot from abused women um i know that we um some of the students watch a a program called murdered by my boyfriend and it's exactly that again and it's based on a true story but it's a dramatization where she just keeps accepting him back until the worst happens so this is the worst it's going to get but um so one night helen comes back from a night out 
having left David home with her children and um, he loses his shit, obviously. She's been on a night out and he strangles her to death. It still does get a little bit worse. So then the four-year-old daughter comes down and he tells her mummy's asleep, tells her to kiss mummy and then he he's going to take her to nanny's. So she kisses her mum's dead body and she can still remember this now um, before they leave. But also upstairs is Helen's 14-year-old sister and he goes upstairs and rapes her as well. Oh, God. I know. So, moving Because on. it's all just a very horny situation right now. <sighs> I mean, he's the worst. Ugh. So, uh, he takes the two children to his mother's and then breaks down crying, saying he's killed Helen and he needs to get help. Which, I mean... Where has this em- empathy suddenly come from? After it's not this- empathy, though, is it? That's him thinking about himself. Yeah. He's not thinking, oh, God, I've killed her. That's a horrible thing to do to the child's mother. He's thinking, oh, God, I've killed a person. How do I get out of it? Mm. So she she phones the police and reports the murder, and he turns himself in immediately. So he doesn't... He doesn't that should on- be the end of this story, so I'm worried that there's more pages. Yeah. If you admit to a murder... How is this going any further? So, Vicky Jaggers, she feels immense guilt because she never reported her rape um, and feels like maybe he would have been away, he would have been in prison during this time if she had spoken out about it. But obviously we know why she was so young, she was worried. But he's, he's convicted, but he's convicted of manslaughter and rape of the daughter... I don't how know is how. How is it possibly a manslaughter? How I, do you accidentally strangle someone? I don't know how this happened. Until dead. Like, it's really hard to do. The most disgusting thing about this, he gets six years, he he does four years and he's out. For, oh my God. For murdering his girlfriend and then and raping, raping her daughter. Like, straight, even the fact that they knew there was a rape and a murder. Like, you know that oh, he manslaughtered her to death but then wanted to do a rape after. Yeah. Like that tells that even that connection of those two events says that he's really fucked up. Of course really he meant to murder it. If you accidentally kill someone, even more so you don't go and have sex with someone. Ew. Yeah. Disgusting. So Vicky's father now dies of cancer. Um, and David, after four years of being in prison, he's free again. And she has to be around him again, which is even more traumatizing for her so he at one point goes around her house and says why don't you care about our dad um i think she responds with something like he's not your dad even though he is he's you're just trying to get the same father i think she's just so like i think she's trying to say you're nothing like him he was a good man and you're a piece of shit he um strangles her not to death but he strangles her until she turns blue confirming to her how dangerous he is how how scared she is to talk about you know what he's done to her um a bit i mean the the good news for becky is that she moves on from all of this and she's married to the most supportive lovely man um and she has four children of her own but this isn't where the story ends so david sort of there's not a lot about what he's doing in between that um there's the outside of this documentary in the book there isn't a lot of information about this this crime stuff I'm well kind who'd of, want to write about him i know exactly he's um, horrid but um 
it's when her children who become teenagers go and stay at her mother's um this is when everything comes to light so david happens to be there but she doesn't know he's there so he she sends kids around to grandma's david's probably gone away for a while been here there and everywhere probably being abusive to some more women as he does and then he comes back and he's at her mother's and she finds out i think she gets a phone call or something that david has shouted at one of her daughters but the plan is that they're all gonna stay there overnight she races around says get my fucking kids out of the house yeah he raped a 14 year old girl surely when he was convicted for raping a 14 year old girl they would have thought did he rape you as well? Remember that time when you were yeah. a young child and you got raped? Like, could it have been that? Or yeah. I suppose Vicky hadn't said it was rape, had she? No. She'd have said, she I said was with was a boy, I liked him, da, da, da. Yeah. But even so, he rapes 14-year-old girls. Don't leave him with any 14-year-old girls We're not having a big sleepover. Again. No. Um, so the family are confused by her reaction. Confused? He's a rapist. <laughs> yeah. He's an actual pedo rapist. What's uh, confusing about the situation? So He strangled her. He turned her blue. Well, they don't know about that. Oh, my God. To be fair. Um, I'm so confused. She says... So she shouts out, my children are coming home. He's not going to do that again. And they're all like, do what? What's going on? Uh, Rape a 14-year-old girl. You don't need any other information. (laughs) True. So David turns to his mother and says, everyone's going to hate me now. Why did they not hate him already? He's been in prison. For strangling oh his I girlfriend. I need to like take out an advert on a bridge and we're just saying big letters like, he raped a 14 year old girl. Obviously he did other bad things too, but why are they like, what? Like, they're just like, oh, three strikes till you're out. Like he only raped one 14 year old girl to my knowledge <sighs> and accidentally murdered another person. Oh my God, I can't cope. Accidentally my ass as well. The Unabomber would never have done this. <laughs> okay. So, stop... <laughs> Stop with this love affair of the uni pop. I'm bringing it back. So I think I need to rewatch it. Like he's a wholesome villain that I can get behind. And when I say get behind, I don't mean support his actions. I mean support him as a human being. All right. Do you I'm not quite sure what I mean by that either. Okay. So Vicky's husband takes her home and he says, Tell me the truth, because that reaction was weird, which I don't think it was. She tells him everything. She tells him about the rape. She tells him about how he's the father of her daughter. Um, She is completely clear with him. And he is the most loving, wonderful man. He supports the shit out of her. He is there for her. I mean, obviously, he doesn't really know what to say. But he he's, he's like, I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to look after you. So he goes and tells her mother that, about her being raped by her brother. Um, oh. So that she doesn't have to. He goes and deals with it. He goes to tell the mother. Um, the mother's response is, um, I need Vicky to know that I believe her, which I think probably was the most important thing because Vicky's been wrestling with this idea that maybe no one will believe me. Maybe the family will turn on me. They'll think that I'm being malicious. Um, but she says, I believe her. Tell her that. And then the husband and um, her mother go and tell Kirsty, the daughter. Which she takes really well. Um, and That's just got to have been a difficult conversation. She just wants to support her mum. She just wants to ask if her mum's okay. Um, so, and I think that's another reason that Vicky didn't want to say anything because how is her daughter going to deal with the fact that she is a, a baby of incest? You know, it's... I mean, at least she's 18 by this point. She's a bit older. You know, she's not going to go through school with that knowledge. 
Um, yeah, hopefully she won't be defined by it. Yeah. So the whole family gets together, they cry together, and all of Vicky's fears about what people are going to say to her are gone because everyone's just being supporting of loving and, and brilliant. David now goes on the run. So while on the run, he begins a relationship with a 20-year-old dancer. And um, Vicky reports this rape to the police after having telling her family, and they begin looking for him. And at this point, this 20-year-old goes to speak to David, who's now quite a lot older than her, and says, I want to end the relationship. Um, she doesn't know he's on the run. She doesn't know he's dangerous. She doesn't know everything that's happened. He pulls but out... let's be honest, he probably wasn't being particularly nice to her anyway. No, he was probably abusing her. Um, so he pulls out a knife, and he forces her to get into his van, and they drive off, and he holds her hostage. Um, and he drove from South End to Ely. But they spend the night in a travel lodge. Um, and then the next day he releases her. Oh, thank God. Yeah. And then he phones a friend saying, I need to kill myself because I'm evil. Which I think... Shrug you got a point. Probably the smartest thing you've ever said. <laughs> so police begin to close in and they arrest him. Um, on him he had an... It says an imitation handgun... Yeah. I don't know. Does that mean it works or it just looks like a handgun? I thought it just meant it looked like it. Okay. Um, and he's interviewed for hours and literally says no comment to everything. I don't know if he had a lawyer there with him because they might have been su- suggesting that's probably a good course of action. Um, but they have a DNA test. They prove he's Kirsty's father. Even if he argued it was consensual, it would legally be rape. At that point, she was twelve. He was seventeen. Not a single twelve-year-old girl. They're like, oh yeah, yeah. no, oh, no. God, so he's convicted of rape, incest, kidnapping, and having a replica firearm. He gets eleven years. Um, and then the families, um, have sort of looked out for each other after this. So Helen's children have looked after each other because obviously they've lost their mother. Um, so they've got a very close bond that you know they they look after each other. Vicky's family, particular husband, have supported her, um, and she's written a book um, about her experience called Silenced. Now, the scariest thing about this is he was sentenced in two thousand and five. He got eleven years, and I could not find anything about him being released about what's being happened. Well, then I'm either hoping... he's been released or he's been released. Either then he's not been released or he's been released, but he's had a name change. That's what I'm scared about. So um, he's obviously still a really dangerous person and should not be out of prison. I'll put a photo of him on Instagram. Um, I don't know if we can maybe as a community try and see if we can find where he is. But I am. I genuinely think he should not be out there doing what i mean he's a terrible terrible person he's Unless done he's terrible been things. transferred to some sort of um mental institution i would hope so but I, I i looked and looked and i couldn't find anything about where he was i know legally i, I can't say right what well, because he's done his time for the crimes he's been convicted of but i just be careful if, he retroactively needs some years for that murder he did yeah when he only did four that doesn't even cover the rape no. He shouldn't be released. I'm hoping that he's he's still somewhere locked up. I'm, I imagine if he's been released, the police are keeping a very close eye on him. Regardless. Can they? Can they do that? Well, also, if we all just don't put up with any kind of domestic abuse, 
too. Yeah, just look after yourselves. Anyway, that... We need a number for some, like, support. There is a 24-hour national domestic violence free phone helpline that you can call on 0808 2000 247 if you're in the UK. Um, Just don't put up with any shit from anyone. Can we discuss the point that you read a phone number out as an actual number? 2,247. <laughs> do you do that? Never. <laughs> Two zero zero zero. Treble zero. <laughs> Why don't we treble everything a lot more? I like it. Anyway, thank you for listening, even if it pained you as much as it did me to hear that totally gross case. But thank you for putting it in your brain. I mean, it wasn't fun. I'll be honest, but I think Vicky deserves some book sales. Yeah. Uh, I think she's got a story to tell. I think she's she's a brave, brave person. Um, and so rather than giving money to Patreon, buy a copy of Vicky's book this week. <laughs> That's a nice idea. We will take the Patreon money if you oh, want Yeah, it. and then sign up the <laughs> next month when you've read the book. Yeah. Um and uh you can email us at slaughter the podcast at gmail.com uh review us um just tell your friends um just shout from the rooftops about how brilliant we are. The actual rooftops, please. I remember listening to Slaughter does not make you a psycho, but Shagany's sister definitely, definitely is in that league. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.